13. And we're going to do, hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, verses 1 through 13. And before we get started, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as always, you wrote this. We pray that you would just teach this through your spirit, guide and direct into all truth. And we're just thankful. Thankful for the time to be here in your name. Amen. All righty, Luke 16. Let's start right here in verse 1. Let's do a couple verses and we'll come back and give a little bit of an introduction to what we're going to talk about. He says, He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about? You give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Now let's stop there for a second. There's that word, and we don't use this a lot in the 21st century, this idea of a steward. Some of your translations use the word manager. A steward is somebody who would be just that, a manager. They took care of the business affairs of somebody, and they were in charge of making sure their possessions and their goods and their finances were all taken care of. So what we have here in this parable that Jesus is teaching us in Luke 16 is this idea of there was this steward, and he was not a good steward. In fact, he was a bad steward. And what he was doing in verse 1, he was wasting his goods. Some translations say squandering the goods, literally scattering. He was doing an awful job at his job. So this came to the owner's attention. Verse 2, and he had a little job review, if you will. So he heard something about him, and he's going to lose his job. He knows he's going to lose his job. Verse 3, he says, what am I going to do? I can't dig. I can't do physical labor. I'm not going to beg. So now he's stuck in this situation here. Let's finish the story up and come back and hit the points of it. Verse 4. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to the other, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and then write eighty. So what the steward's great idea is, he's going to go to everybody that owes his master money and he's going to cut their bills in half. So how much do you owe? Oh, I owe, you know, a thousand bushels. We'll make it eight hundred bushels. How much do you owe? I don't know, eight, nine hundred gallons. Okay, we'll cut that in half. So he goes through, cuts all their bills in half with the mindset of being, verse four, when I lose my job, these guys will owe me. So since they owe me, I can go to them and say, listen, I lost my job, but I cut you a good deal on that wheat. I cut you a good deal on that oil. Let me come stay with you for a while. What happened then? Verse 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So his boss comes back and actually commends him and says, You know what? That was kind of a good thing that you did in the sense of looking out for yourself. He's an unjust steward. One translation says he was a dishonest rascal. What a translation. Now, it's usually at this time that we stop the parable and we say, How does this apply to us? Generally, in a parable like this, we would stop and say, well, the master would have to represent God. We would be the unjust steward. Um, We're sinful. We're not good at what we do. And so God wants us to... And then we fall apart in this parable. This parable doesn't represent us. The master doesn't represent God. See, in some parables... There's a parable where Jesus says, put yourself in it, that's you. There's other parables where he says there's a parable of contrast. Look at what the person is doing and learn from it and then do the opposite. This is one of those parables where God says, look at this and see what he did and what you can learn from it. The answer to this parable is found in the middle of verse 8. 
So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What Jesus is saying is, you know what? The world understands and gets money better than what you do. The world understands the future better than you do. As Christians, we're not the best at this. And the world gets it that money can buy friends and money can get you ahead. Now, you can't argue with that. Now, I'm not saying that's a biblical point, but you can't argue with that point. The world gets that money buys friends, money buys relationships, and money gets you ahead. What Jesus is saying is the world gets this point, and the world plans for their future. The world will talk about 401ks. The world will talk about you know mutual funds and retirement and stock markets and future trading and gold and silver. The world is shrewd about that. The world gets it. The world understands it. Verse 8, better than we do as Christians. Now, if you just stop at verse 8, you would think this message would be going into then financial planning. That's not the point. Now you have to get to the point, verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fall, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Jesus saying, you use money to make friends. You use money to get ahead. Now before you think that's an unbiblical point, make sure you understand getting ahead, verse 9. They may receive you into an everlasting home. See, what Jesus is saying is the world understands the value of money and the importance of money, and the world says you can use money to get ahead in this life. Jesus is saying you guys understand the role and value of money, and you use it to move ahead spiritually in eternity. Not in the sense of that you're buying your salvation, not in the sense that you can use money to open the doors of heaven, but you use money, verse 9, to make friends that make an impact for them spiritually. What's it mean to make friends? It means that you realize the value of money in witnessing and evangelizing and just seeing the gospel go out. It's not making friends in the sense of, I have more friends than I'm close to. It means making a spiritual impact on people that you may never even meet. That you may give money to an organization, to a ministry that spreads the gospel over in Asia. You may never step foot in Asia. But you're using money to make spiritual friends in Asia that when you have your everlasting home in heaven, God says, I saw what you did with it. Understand what Jesus is saying. He is saying the world gets the value and the importance of money. As Christians, we need to see the understanding of that. And instead of using it to further us on this world, we use it to further the gospel for an everlasting home for other people. That's the point that he's trying to make, is using that on an everlasting thing. Money is very temporary. You can take that money that you've been blessed with, and you can do a lot of temporary things with that money right now. Or you can do something everlasting with it. Jesus is saying, do something everlasting, and it makes a difference. Now, here's the thing about money. We don't like talking about it, do we? It's amazing, as a pastor, I'll get phone calls from people, and they will open up their darkest, deepest secrets, things they will never tell anybody else, but they'll tell the pastor. They'll open up about life, struggles, problems, but as soon as the subject of money comes up, well, we don't, we don't want to talk about that. You know why? I think Christianity has gotten a bad rap when it comes to money, because we see a lot of people on TV, we see a lot of things about money, and it makes it look like God is completely and utterly broke. I remember when I first got saved, I was listening to this radio station. It used to be in the area, and maybe it still is. And back then, 
was one of the few stations that came in clearly, so I remember listening to it. They had this program on at 4 o'clock. And I remember distinctly, and I'm not exaggerating this in any way whatsoever, the guy got on, started the program, and says, we only have enough money left to broadcast for 20 more minutes. That's all we have. So people would call in, and they would call in and give their donation. He would say, amen, we can stay on now for another 35 minutes. Thank you. And you just had this envisionment. I'm sitting there as a new believer thinking, oh my goodness, the kingdom is falling apart. You have this vision of God being up in heaven, like looking at her couch cushions, trying to find quarters just to further the gospel. God is not broke. It makes it clear in the Bible that he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He doesn't even just own the cattle. He owns the hills that the cattle's on. God does not need your money in any way whatsoever. And I want to make this point abundantly clear. God just doesn't want you to want your money so bad. And that's what we got to be careful about. What Jesus is saying here is, you have been given money. Now how are you going to use it? Are you going to be like the world? Verse 8. Be shrewd, plan your own future, and then you die? Or are you going to be like the sons of light? Verse 9, use that money, make it an everlasting difference in the gospel, and do things for eternity that make a difference forever. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. What are you going to do with those money? Because you need to be faithful in it. Verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, basically what Jesus is saying here is, listen, if you can't handle your finances, how can you handle the gospel? If you can't handle temporary money on this earth, how can you handle the eternal gospel message that is true riches? It's been said by many people in many different ways. If you really want to understand what a Christian deems important, just look at their checkbook. And you'll see. And what God is trying to say is here, in verse 10, have you been faithful in the little things? Because when you've been faithful in the little things, God gives you more spiritual responsibility. But if you're not faithful in the little things, then how do you expect to get more spiritual responsibility? And what it ties it into in verses 11 and 12, if you're not faithful in the simple concept of finances... How can God trust you with the bigger issues of the eternal gospel? See, now, at this point, there's usually someone sits here and says, okay, this is where I, I hear you, and I'm, I'm going to quit listening. Because I don't want spiritual responsibility. I don't. I, I don't want to be faithful in the big things. I'm here, I want to show up, and I want to go home. I don't need to lead a ministry, I don't need to lead a prayer group, I don't need to lead a Bible study. I don't even really need to be that amazing of a light and a witness at work. I love God. God loves me. I'm here. I want to worship. I want to learn. And I want to go home. I'm okay with being in the little things. And I hear that. And I understand that. But I disagree with you. Because there's going to come a time and a place where you're going to go to heaven. You're going to stand before Jesus. And you're going to give an account of what you did. Now, this account is not based on your salvation or whether you're in or out of heaven. It's based on, Lord, what did I do with the time and resources that you gave me? And I want to be able to proclaim to Jesus, I was a wise steward, a wise manager in everything you gave me. Because I'm just not a steward, a manager in finances. I'm a steward and manager in everything. I'm asked to be a wise steward to the kids that God has given me. I'm asked to be a wise steward to the spouse that God has given me. I'm asked to be a wise steward to the possessions that God has given me. 
It's not just about money. It's about whatever the Lord has blessed you with. Am I using it for Him or is it mine? Those kids aren't mine. That spouse isn't mine. This church is not my church. This is not my ministry. The Lord has just given me a time in my season of life to be a part of it. And I want to be a wise manager. I want to be a wise steward in it. And I want to be faithful in this. Not to get more people. Not to get a bigger name for myself. Because none of that stuff matters. What matters is when I die and I stand before the Lord. Lord, I was faithful in whatever you gave me. Big or small. To use it as a time to further the gospel. So if you're sitting here saying, I don't want spiritual responsibility. Well, God wants you to have spiritual responsibility. Well, I would just rather not. Let's talk about that for a second. Turn if you will to Matthew 25, please. Matthew 25. Great example here of spiritual responsibility and what we do with it. Are we faithful in the little things that God gives us? Or are we unfaithful in the little things that God gives us? Matthew 25, please. Matthew 25 is the very famous story of the parable of the talents. Now, that talent was a sum of money, and that represents the gospel message that God has given us. And if you look here in Matthew 25, verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, and called his own servants, and delivered his goods to them. So, that idea of the man traveling to the far country, that represents Jesus. Jesus has now ascended. He's in heaven. But he's entrusted us with the gospel message down on this earth. What are we going to do with this gospel message? Verse 15. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Each one, verse 15 is important, each one according to his own ability. Now, that's very important. Because what happens is somebody sits here and says, I don't want a lot of responsibility. I can't handle that. God says, I know you can't. That's why I'm only giving you a little responsibility. Be faithful in it. And then as you're faithful in that little responsibility, you'll see that it's not you, it's the Lord that's doing it. And then that responsibility will grow. One got five, one got two, one got one. Hey, whatever God has called you to have, just be faithful in that. If you have been given a ministry that's maybe larger numerically, well, then you have more responsibility to take care of it. If you've been given some type of spiritual responsibility that's smaller numerically, it doesn't make it any less important. Take care of it. Be faithful. See, that's what God is asking us. Are we being faithful? Because look what happened, verse 16. The one that had five was faithful, and he got five more. Verse 18, the one that had two was faithful, got two more. But then, verse, excuse me, uh, verse 17. Verse 18, the one that had one, he received one, went and dug it in the ground, and hit his Lord's money. That's the one that says, I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be in charge. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be responsible for someone to spread the gospel. I don't want to do this. I just, I don't, I don't want it. Why? I hear it all the time. Well, I don't want to mess something up. See, I, I don't want to go out there and tell somebody about the Lord. Because if I tell somebody about the Lord, what happens if I say it wrong? What happens if I do it wrong? And then I don't say anything. Here's the truth. God is bigger than your mess ups. Guess what? You mess up the gospel message. You mess up a ministry opportunity. The Lord will either bring somebody into that person's life to point them in the right direction, or the Lord will give you another opportunity to come back and say, listen, I want to talk to you one more time. Isn't God faithful? So what happens, we bury it because we're afraid. See, the truth of the matter is, you're not that important. See, I think I'm important. If I say something wrong... Oh my goodness, I should just not say anything. You're not that important. God wants you to have the blessing of sharing and saying something. So this person didn't want to do anything. Verse 18 hides it. Verse 19, the Lord comes back. 
Verse 20, the one that had five says, look, I gave you five more. Verse 21, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, the one that had two got two more back. Did you note that? Five gave five. 100% effort. Two got two. 100% effort. Verse 23. He said, the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Note, the reward given in verse 21 is the same as the reward given in verse 23. Because both people gave 100% effort. Well, the one had five, brought five more. The only one only had two, brought two more. doesn't matter. They were both 100% effort. And God says, thank you for your service. Your ministry, whatever that may be called to be, may not be huge. God says, just be faithful in it. Elias has been learning in history. He learned about Billy Sunday. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Sunday or not. Billy Sunday is one of the greatest evangelists that ever lives. According to some reports, Billy Sunday had the opportunity to tell over a million people about Jesus. That's pretty impressive. So Elias has been learning about Billy Sunday. So not that long ago, we were in Meyer. So we were in Meyer, and Dawn had the baby, and I had the four oldest boys. So what I do is I take them to the toy aisle, and we just walk up and down the toy aisle, and we're just looking at stuff, and they find something. Dad, look at this. Dad, look at that. So we're in Meyer, in the toy aisle, and my phone rings. So I answer the phone, and it's, a, it's an important phone call. It's somebody going through a difficult time, and they really needed to talk about something. So here we are in Meyer in the toy aisle, and I'm talking on the phone about deep spiritual eternal matters while people are, are shoving Iron Man in my face, things like that. Well, that's okay. I can handle that. I'm kind of used to that. Well, then all of a sudden, just like always, one of them says, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. I said, do you really have to go? I'm looking. It's a tile floor. I mean, we can, you know, be okay here. And he says, no, I really need to go. Okay, so fine. I take, take them all into the bathroom while still on the phone uh, dealing with, with ministry here. And I'm just telling you right now, when we used to go into the bathroom, because there's, there's, there's five boys and me, so there's six of us. I, we used to go in really respectfully, and now it's like, you know what? We outnumber you. We're taking over. I mean, that's the way I look at it. There's six of us. We're just coming in. So do the phone call in the bathroom, got the boys out, back at the toy aisle, still on the phone, do everything, got off the phone, and like, okay, Lord, you know, thank you for just taking care of everything. Lias comes up to me. He says, Dad, you know, I, I heard you on the phone. You were, you were telling him about the Lord and stuff. I said, yeah. And he goes, um, you're like Billy Sunday. And I said, wow. Now, Dawn's a, I mean, uh, Elias is a lot like Dawn. They're both just kind of mean. And so Elias says, you're like Billy Sunday. I said, well, thanks. He goes, but no, I mean, you're like him, but the opposite, because Billy Sunday told a million people about the Lord, and you're never going to do that, Dad. So I'm not called to be Billy Sunday. I'm not called to do that. That's not my ministry. I'm called to minister to what God has given me. There is no comparison in Christianity. You start up a prayer group and one person comes. You be faithful to that one person. And that one person may be you. You start up a prayer group and ten people come. You be faithful to that ten. You go to your line at work and you witness to people and one person comes to know the Lord. You be faithful in that one person. Ten people come to know the Lord. You be faithful in those ten. God is saying you be faithful in what I have given you. That's what he's saying. You are a steward. You are a manager to be responsible for the sphere of influence you are in and the people that come into that sphere of influence, and you are responsible for that. The guy with the five got it. The guy with the two got it. The guy with the one, let's see what happens. Verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. 
And I went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He had all that time to do something. Something. He chose to do nothing out of fear. What happened? 26, his Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant. See, we've been given an opportunity on this earth, and I don't know how long that opportunity is. For some people, it's 30 years, 20 years, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, I don't know. Be responsible as a steward and a manager of what God has given you and be responsible to Him to be faithful. That's the point that the Lord is trying to make. Jump back now to Luke 16. He is asking you in verse 10, are you faithful in the little things? How can you publicly proclaim Christ when privately you spend no time with Him? How can you publicly say, I want to go out there and impact scores of people for Jesus when privately you and Jesus don't even talk. Are you faithful in those little things? Greg Laurie, who I'm a big fan of, um, he tells this story about when he first started public ministry. That he went to uh, Pastor Chuck Smith at the time and he said, I'd really like to get involved with ministry. I would really like to be a part of things. And he just assumed that uh, Chuck would say, well, hey, here's the pulpit next Sunday. Teach. He said, I'm glad you feel led to get involved. I got a job for you. And Greg was excited. And the first job that Greg Laurie did was raking leaves. And once he got done raking leaves, he went back to Pastor Chuck. And he said, I I did that. I'm ready, Lord. I mean, I'm ready. What's the next responsibility here? And Chuck said, well, you know what? We have a doorknob that's broken in one of the kids' classrooms. Can you go to the hardware store and pick out that doorknob? And Greg Laurie talks about being faithful in little things. Boy, and the same thing happens to us today. I can remember when I first got saved... And I remember going up to Jim at the time, feeling led to be a pastor, feeling led to get involved. And I thought for sure he was going to say, you know what, why don't you take some time Sunday, prepare something, and teach. And one time he came up and said, hey, I'd like you to do something on Sunday. And I was all ready. He said, can you do announcements? Yeah, yeah. Be faithful in those things and see where the Lord goes with it. And, and that's what God is trying to say here. Be faithful in those things. And the tie-in is with finances. Are you faithful in the responsibilities that God has given you in finances? Because if money is an issue, how can you handle other things? Look at verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Verse 12. If you have not been faithful in what is another's man, who will give you what is your own? What Jesus is basically saying here is, listen, if I can't trust you with the finances, how can I trust you with the gospel? As we've said, and I don't mean to be repetitious, the way we handle money is a really a reflection of what we think about the Lord. And we've got to be careful about that. Those possessions are not mine. Those kids are not mine. My wife is not mine. This church is not mine. This building is not mine. This is the Lord's. And I'm a steward and I'm a manager over it. And that's what God is trying to teach here. The unjust steward, we can't defend what he did. But he understood the value of money and how it would help him in this world. Jesus takes that point and says, Do you understand the value of money and how it will help for eternity as you spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because anytime you have money, you can make a choice. Do I do something temporary with that? Or do I do something eternal with that? Now, God has never called us to take a vow of poverty. But he has asked us to make sure... That we do not allow money to rule us. Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. What's your focus in life? 
what's your focus here? Let's do some verses here to kind of finish this up. Go to First Timothy, please. First Timothy, chapter six. This is where it gets tough in the lesson. Because we need to start talking about some practical applications. And I've mentioned earlier in the message, we can talk about anything, but we can't talk about money. Because if we talk about money, it makes it sound like we as a church want your money. Sounds like me as a pastor want your money. And you know what? I don't want your money in any way whatsoever. And as a church, God will provide. He'll take care of it. I've shared this story with you many times, and I love sharing it. I'm going to share it again. I remember 20 years ago, the first time I came out to Harvest Fellowship, I was invited by Kelly and by Jim many times, and I, and I finally came. And I remember making sure I, in my wallet that I had a couple dollars, not just one. Because if you fold up one dollar, you can tell it's one. I needed to have at least two dollars. Because if you fold up two, it just looks better. So that way, when they pass the plate, I can put the money in the plate. And so that way, it looks good. So I went there, and they were meeting in the white building that's now the library there in Hamler. And so I was waiting all service for them to pass the plates. That way, I could make my big $2 donation and make it look good to everybody. And as I've said many times, that was 20 years ago. 20 years later, I'm still waiting for us to pass the plate. I still got 2 bucks in my wallet. That's all I got. Point is, we're not here for that. We're here to see the gospel spread in all ways and all things. So, let's talk about money for a little bit. Verse 6. Now godliness, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. First point, verse 6, just be content with what God has given you. Just be content there. Because verse 7, you can't take it with you. I mean, we, we, we make that statement all the time. But do you realize that's a biblical thing? You can't take it with you. How many people spend their whole life creating this kingdom of possessions and they die? For what? See, you can't take it with you. There's a focus on eternity. On eternity. God says, be content. Verse 8, food, clothing. With these we shall be content. I've shared with you before why I like to ask the boys. Do you have food in your stomach? Yes. Do you have clothes on your body? Yes. Do you have a roof over your head? Yes. And let's just be content. Let's keep it simple. Let's just be content. Because verses 9 and 10, those people that keep chasing that carrot dangled in front of them never win. They never do. You have this thing that you want, and once you get that thing, you're happy with it. But guess what? Then you always want one more thing. You need two of that one thing, or you need a bigger one of that one thing. Same thing with the job. I've heard so many people say this. I've said it in my life. I've heard other people say it. You get that job, and you realize what they're going to pay you per hour. You're like, wow, I can't believe they're going to pay me to do this. Six months into that job, you're going to your boss saying, can I have more? Then you get that raise, and you're like, oh, I got that raise. Wow, this is just great, Lord. Thank you. Six months later, you want another raise. There's this constant chasing of things. God says you sometimes have to stop and just realize contentment. You can't take it with you, and you will never have enough possessions. If you don't believe that, go read the book of Ecclesiastes, where you see Solomon, who had everything, everything, and still wasn't enough. 
You will never have enough unless you get an eternal mindset. So what does that mean if you've been blessed with something where the money's good? Well, look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You've been blessed where finances aren't an issue. Amen. Use that money to see the gospel spread. Keep it simple. Impact eternity, not the temporary world. This temporary world will burn and be over. Let's impact eternity for the Lord. We can't take it with us. Possessions will never be enough. So what is the answer to keep us from loving money? What is the answer? Remember, we just read in verse 13, you cannot serve both God and money. What is the answer that God has given us to keep this from being an issue? Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 9. We got three passages here to talk about, and then we're done. First one, 2 Corinthians 9. The answer that God has given us to keep us from allowing money to control us, I think it's the simple concept of tithing. See, and once again, we come back to this idea of money. Here we go, the church asking for money. The church is not asking for money. It's not asking for money in any way whatsoever. I realize that in your personal walk and relationship with the Lord, that tithing is a blessing to you. It really honestly is. And a lot of times people come in and they want to sit down and do financial counseling. As some of you may know, that's what I went to college for. I got my degree in finance. So I I love sitting down and talking about finances. Finances are black and white. The money's either there or it's not. So with this mindset then of money, one of the subjects that always come up then was when we're going through numbers and looking through their budget, we always say, well, do you tithe? And I always give them this long speech. I'm not asking if you tithe because I'm the pastor of the church and I want to let you know if you tithe or not. No, I'm asking, do you tithe because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. I want to know, do you, for you. Same thing when we do premarital counseling. One of the last sessions we do is we do a budget because I know if you go into marriage with a budget, oh my goodness, it saves a lot of issues. So one of the questions I ask them is, are you going to tithe? Well, why would we? 2 Corinthians 9. Let's go ahead and pick it up here in verse 6. I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the blessings of giving is that God then takes care of you. See, now the problem is we read verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I've heard too many ministries use that verse. And they treat God like some type of investment banker. If you just send in your $100 seed gift, God will turn that $100 around and give you 1000 Wow. God's the greatest financial manager I've ever seen. So, Lord, I'm going to give you everything, not because I care about impacting eternity, because, you know what, my savings account is giving like .05. I can maybe get 1% on a CD. My 401k is going down. But if I just give you 100 bucks, you're giving me 1000 where do I sign up? That's not what verse 6 is saying. Verse 6 is saying is if you make God a priority and making sure that he is blessed by you blessing, he'll make sure the blessing comes back. I heard Pastor Rich say this years ago, and it's never left my mind. The blessing back may not be financial. It may be peace in the house. It may be peace in life. It may be a car that has 175,000 miles, but it still just keeps running. It may be a house that after 30 years, that roof should probably be replaced, but when you crawl up and you look at it, 
it doesn't look too bad. Those are blessings. Now, the problem is we want the money blessings. No, God takes care of our needs. So what does he say in verse 7? Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now, some people say, well, I read that verse, purpose in my heart. I purpose in my heart to give God 1%. My personal opinion, and I feel I can back this up with Scripture, people say, well, tithing is a uh, law thing. Now, tithing actually predates the law, goes back in Genesis, and you actually see Jesus actually commending the Pharisees and Sadducees for tithing in the New Testament. My personal opinion, I believe 10% is a great baseline. And God says right here, don't do it grudgingly, be a cheerful giver. I tell you, when, from my high school days, I, I've always given 10%, right off the gross. And that idea there of Dawn and I, when we first got married, you know, we had always given 10%. And I can give story after story after story of God blessing us. Never once do I ever put that money in thinking, wow, Lord, I'm giving you X amount of dollars, and I'm going to go home and check my bank account right now because you're going to do something funky. I know you are. No, Lord, use this. Use this to spread the gospel. Use this to impact people for eternity. And that money that is given is sent over to do things. That's part of the reason um, it worked out good that today's message was actually planned. Um, We're going to start showing those videos to let you know here's an opportunity that the church gets to do. You get to impact local needs. You get to impact gospel in Asia. You get to do all this stuff, and you're blessed by doing it. But here's the thing. There's the blessing of giving. What happens if you don't? I mean, is God going to strike lightning down? I mean, are you the one that's going to keep getting flat tires because that's God's way of trying to get your attention? Is your roof going to leak two years into it? No, I'm not saying that stuff's going to happen, but I will say this will happen. Go to Proverbs, please. We have two passages to look at. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. Sometimes people will come in and we'll sit down and do financial counseling. First thing we do is how much do you have coming in? Second thing we do is how much do you have going out? Let's list all your debt. And then we usually have this surplus. And I usually say, where is the surplus going? And they usually look at me and say, I don't know. Now, then I ask them, do you tithe? Well, what does that have to do with the surplus? It has a lot to do with the surplus. And I can back this up biblically. Look at this. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and the one who waters will also be watered himself. Verse 24. The one who scatters, yet increases more. God says, when you are free with your money in the sense of giving out and using that for the gospel, the Bible makes it clear... God will take care of you, meet Jesus. But yet, if there's one who withholds more than is right, it leads to poverty. The one that holds back from the Lord actually comes back to bite him. It is a strange concept, and it doesn't make any sense. The, the Lord, you are saying, when I get paid, if I give you 10%, I'm going to willfully give up 10%, you're going to actually bless me and take care of me more than I could if I would have kept that 10%. I've had people sit there in counseling saying, listen, I'm having a hard time paying the light bill right now. And you're telling me instead of focusing on paying the light bill to go give God 10% and he's just going to miraculously take care of my light bill. Yeah. How? I don't know. (laughs) And if you want to leave the meeting right now, that's fine. But it's a faith thing. God, this is the only item in the Bible where God says, trust me and put me to the test. 
Only time. No other place in the Bible does God say, test me. He says, in this area of finances, he says, test me. That if you put me first in your finances, I will meet the rest of your needs. Note, I did not say once. I said needs. And how does he meet your needs? Is he going to all of a sudden have money show up at your door? I doubt it, but he could. But he will meet your needs. One last passage on this. One last passage on this. Turn, if you will, to the book of Haggai. And you have to go to Haggai without looking in the front of your Bible. Part of the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible is you get to go to books like Haggai. Haggai, a short little two-chapter verse that's snuck in there between Zephaniah and Zechariah. When's the last time we studied anything out of Haggai? Haggai chapter 1. You see in Haggai chapter 1, what was going on is God wanted them to start rebuilding the temple. And the people said, we can't rebuild the temple. We don't have any money. God says, well, I look at your houses and your houses look pretty good. So obviously you're finding money to build your nice house. What about the temple? Verse 2 of Haggai 1. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, These people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in the temple to lie in ruins. Basically, you guys have spent all your finances making your house look good while the temple of God suffers. Same thing today. Lord, I have made sure I'm taken care of. Ah, you know, Lord, I'll trust you. I just heard on Sunday that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You can do it. Yeah, God can do it. He's not broke. He'll make sure the gospel message goes out. The point of giving is not God needs your money. The point of giving is we are blessed to be a part of something eternal. We're blessed to be a part of something. What happens when we don't? Verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. When we don't put the Lord first in our finances, I'm just telling you right now, I don't care how much you have coming in, there's going to be a bag with a hole in it. And that's what happens. I've seen people do this, where there is this black hole in their budget of where does it go? And I say, have you ever read Haggai chapter 1? Because look at Haggai 1, verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. Look at the end of verse 6. You earn wages, but you earn wages to put into a bag with holes. See, it just disappears. It's a faith thing to say, Lord, I will honor you with giving, knowing that you're going to use this money to further the gospel. And I know that I will be blessed by doing it. And I don't know how that blessing is going to come, but I will be blessed by doing it because I have honored you with that. I want to make this clear. If you walk away out of this message today saying, the only thing they want is money, you've completely misunderstood everything we said. We want you to be blessed in that area. We want you to honor God in that area because I know as you honor God in that area, He will not allow you to falter. He won't. I guarantee it. I've seen it in my life, and it's a scriptural, biblical point. The purpose of that parable, those 13 verses, if mankind knows the value of money and how it can get you ahead in this world, God says, how much more could you use that money to move ahead in eternity 
by seeing the gospel go out and make an eternal difference. Oh my goodness, what a blessing that will be. Marv, will come forward here for the final song. We're going to let uh, Marv do a song here. We'll let you guys go. Appreciate you.